Okay, so shalom everybody. This class, believe it or not, is sponsored by somebody, by Rabbi Shlomo Herzl ben Mirka Dvora, in honor of his wife, Leah Rachel Bat Mary, Miri, in the merit of Rabbi Nachman ben Fege, they should be Zoche, both of them, to raise their family according to the teachings of the true tzaddikim, and they should eventually bring their family ASAP back to Eretz Yisrael very soon. And all of you should come to Eretz Yisrael very soon, Bezat Hashem. Alright. So we're now, I have a lot to talk about. We're going to complete what was given last, uh, what we started last week, because there's more to say about that. And we'll go on. There's a lot. So if we don't finish, then we'll have to continue with Bezat Hashem next week. So if you recall last week, we um, went into a verse. Rabbi Nachman expounds a verse. This is like in uh, in the lesson two hundred and five, at the end of section two. This is page thirty eight in the standard Breslov Research Institute edition of uh, volume uh, eleven. <coughs> so, Rabbi Nachman expounds a verse from the second chapter of the Tikkun Aklalia. Rabbi Nachman's Tikkun. The Ten Psalms, chapter 32. Okay, and the verse, if you remember, reads, Le David maskil ashre nesui pesha kesui chata'a. Le David maskil, to, to David, a, an intellectual song, maskil. Fortunate is the person whose iniquity, pesha, we went into this last week, if you remember. There's a pesha which is like a rebellious sin. There's an avon, which is an intentional mezid sin. And there's a chet, which is an unintentional sin. And here he's saying, Ashrei Nesui Pesha, fortunate is a person whose rebellious iniquities are nesui, re- removed. Okay? And the verse continues, Kesui Chata'a, covered up as a sin, as an unintentional sin. In other words, fortunate is the person whose rebellious activities are transformed into unintentional sins unbelievable, right? so we said how this is like a source to show that Rabbi Nachman's Tikkun, Psalms he says Psalms is referring to Ledavid Maskil that can subdue what comes out of the first letters of those three words Ashrei Nesri Pesha fortunate is the person whose rebellious iniquities are lifted stands for Aleph you have Aleph Nun Pei, which spells out Naaf. Naaf is like immorality, immoral. Immorality, sexual imp- impurity, can be lifted up through the David Maskil. Okay? We went into this a lot last week. There's some more details from the Zohar on this. But before this, just if we look at the verse again, Le David, the full verse, Le David Maskil Ashrei Nesri Pesha Kesui Chata'a. That fortune is the person whose, again, iniquity, iniquity, rebellious act is transformed into an unintentional sin. We went into this, if you remember, from the Gemara, Masechet Yoma, the dispute between Rabbi Meir and the sages of how to do the Vidui and why Rabbi Meir holds like the, the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. We went into this. And Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, expression of the 13 attributes of mercy, where we say first, Nose Avon. Hashem is one who lifts up the intentional sin, the intentional rebellious act, and also the unintentional sin. And you have, we asked, if you're asking forgiveness for the severe ones, why ask for the easy ones afterwards? <laughs> it's automatic. So they explain, the sages explain, that the Kohen Gadol and Moshe Rabbeinu are asking Hashem, turn the rebellious and intentional sins of the Jews to be considered unintentional. That all that's needed now to, re- to rectify it is regret. Charata. Regret is the key for a sin offering. When, when a person brought us an unintentional sin offering to the temple, right? It was unintentional. Korban chatat. An, a, sin, a sin offering, which is unintentional. The main part of the sacrifice is the vidu, is the confession that the person put on the animal, Right? And we said, if you remember, the Zohar says that Hashem, He takes the confession 
and he gives the physical part of the animal, like the liver, etc., to the other side. When it's burning on this on the temple on the on the altar in the temple, the evil takes the physical part of the animal, and Hashem takes the reach nichoach. He takes the pleasant fragrance, which comes from the uh, the confession of the person that he put on the animal, right? So that's the main part of an unintentional sin offering, like the Rambam says. The Rambam says, if you remember, that the essence of tshuva is the charata, regret, that a person regrets the act, okay? <coughs> so, Rav Yosef Chaim of Baghdad, the Ben Chaim, in his book, Ben Yoyada, which is a commentary on the Talmud, he brings an unbelievable story, obviously a true story. He brings a story of a, a Torah student, a young man, a Bacho, not married yet, who was learning in a yeshiva, and the yeshiva, you know, he was one of the top students of the yeshiva. There was a Rosh Yeshiva. And the Rosh Yeshiva informed the students that tomorrow, the next day, there would be no uh, class. There would be no Torah class. They have like a day off. They can do a review of what they learn or whatever. So the student, this, this top student, he decided that tomorrow he's going to just take a break and go for a nice walk in a beautiful park. A beautiful park that has a beautiful orchard and a beautiful pond and a beautiful waterfall and like a platform above the waterfall that you can see all this a very nice orchard and a beautiful garden etc so this young man he went for this walk into this beautiful garden and he's sitting on this platform above the waterfall and observing the taking like a, a relaxation a break suddenly a very beautiful Goya, a very beautiful woman, a prostitute in fact, she was also there at the same time, also, you know, you know, Letaya, she's, she's just uh, t- going for a stroll, and she sees him, and she sees that he's good looking, she also was good looking, she's a prostitute, so she really wanted to be with him, so she approaches him, and he's a, he's, a, he's a religious boy, he's a, a Jewish student. She, nonetheless, nevertheless, she comes close to him. She starts passing on him, hitting on him, and getting closer and closer until she succumbs him to sleep with her. So they were together, okay? After this happened, he was so broken. He's in yeshiva, he's a Torah student, he's learning Torah. He's one of the top students in his yeshiva. He felt so bad so disgusted with himself he went quickly back home he opened some books he knew bo- he had he had many books about how to repent for such an act and one book says you have to fast and one says you have to do this and all types of chuva activities he wasn't calmed down with anything nothing settled with him he decided based on <coughs> what he saw <coughs> and what <coughs> sorry and what he learned and what he knew that the best thing would be for him to go back to that spot tomorrow, the next day, to say Shema, to say the Shema with a lot of Kavana, and he would jump into the into the pond, you know, it's a high jump from the waterfall into the pond and, ki- and kill himself. And he would go early enough that nobody nobody would be there to stop him or to rescue him. So he, com- he concluded that he's going to do that. He didn't ask anybody, he didn't speak to anybody. He's not going to speak to anybody about this, all right? So he does that. The next day he goes to the same spot and he says the Shema with such kavana and with joy that he felt I'm going to now die and give my soul as a repentance for this terrible thing that I did. I can't believe I felt so low and did this. I'm going to I'm going to jump off the off the waterfall and and kill myself and let my soul be an atonement. Let my death be an atonement for my act. So he says the Shema and he's about to jump over. Who comes by? She's there again, the next day. The same woman from yesterday, she's there again. And she comes running to him, hugging him and everything. And she says, I knew you would be back. I knew you would come back for more. And she started hugging him and he's saying, no, leave me alone. And she ruined his plans. He can't jump off now anymore. Because if, she, if he jumps off, she's going to scream. And there's people, also, other people, guards, whatever, are going to come to the screaming. And they're going to try to save him. So she ruined his plans. He can't jump off anymore. 
And she said, I swear by, by my father's life, I'm not leaving you until we are together again. And she, he was, he couldn't handle it. And he said, leave me alone, leave me alone. And he broke free and ran away quickly. Where did he go? He ran back to yeshiva. Because today, the second day, the, the yeshiva is back to normal. The Rosh Yeshiva came back. While he's running, while this is happening, and he's running back to the yeshiva, the Rosh Yeshiva, who started to give a class in the Gemara, he, began, he dozed off in the middle. He in the middle of giving a class with the Gemara, the big Gemara, the big Talmud books. The, the Rosh Yeshiva dozed off, and he dreamt. This is happening while the guy, this is happening to the, the, the student. So the Rosh Hashiva dreamt that he saw this student standing at the entrance of a beautiful castle, a beautiful palace, and he has in his hand a tiny knife, you know, like the Swiss knives used for peeling apples, you know, a very tiny knife. Like, a, you can't kill anybody with this knife, it's a tiny knife. You have a jackknife you have in your pocket, but it's not for killing. It's for peeling apples, whatever, a small knife. And on top of his head is a long pillar of light. And approaching this yeshiva student, again, this is in the dream. The Rosh Yeshiva sees a snake with three heads approaching the yeshiva student to kill him. And the yeshiva student, out of fear... He drops the knife from his hand, and it's on like a cliff. So the, the knife rolls down, falls, and hits the snake in the the middle snake head in the head, and goes into the head and kills the entire snake. The whole snake falls down, and the Rosh Shiva is looking at this dream. He's thinking, "What? What's the the, the 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 pillar of light with this little knife? He's able to kill the snake." And then the Rosh Shiva woke up. As soon as he woke up. The Bachor came running in, panting still from what just happened right now. Panting. So the Rosh Hashiva, he said to the, Bach, to the boy, I want you to tell me what happened. And if you tell me what happened, I will tell you something good. Something amazing. So when the Bachor, he didn't want to say obviously, but when the Rosh Hashiva told him that he'll tell him something good, so the Bachor told the Rosh Hashiva what happened. So the Rosh Shiva said, your sin is forgiven. Whenever we see a pillar of light over somebody's head in a dream, it's a good sign. It's a sign that this person is for sure a part, he has a, a part of the world to come. He has a good portion. He's a tzaddik. He's been forgiven. Everything is clean. You don't have to do anything. Your regret plus, like the Gemara says, the Gemara says, what's complete tshuva? Complete tshuva is the same place, the same woman, the same scenario. You had all that. You had the same place, the same woman, the same scenario, and you didn't repeat the sin. That's tshuva. But in our context, that's what, that's what the Ben Ishchai, he brings this story in this context of that idea from the Gemara. But in our context, what pushed him not to repeat the sin? What pushed him was the regret that he had, the charata. His regret was so strong, and the Rosh Hashiva told him, that is enough that saved you, but also atones. The atonement happened because of the regret. If you didn't have that regret, you would not be able to stand up the second time. You had such a strong remorse and regret, that's what cleaned you. That's what the verse is saying here. Fortunate is the person whose sin is lifted up what sin? An intentional sin. Pesha. Intentional, you know? It's like you, you, you can't control yourself and you're out of... Intentional is even worse. Pesha is rebellious. It's even worse than intentional. It's where a person is like at a rebellion doing it against God. And even that type of sin is lifted up and Kisui is covered up to be an unintentional sin. Here, by Rabbi Nachman, he teaches us that the power of Psalms, the power of the ten Psalms, is enough to do that already. It's enough to take my rebellious action and to turn it into just a regular sin. All that's needed now is just to ask Hashem for forgiveness and to have regret over what I did. 
That's what he's saying here. He says it's true that David Maskil. <coughs> so now we're going to continue to an amazing point. The Zohar, the Holy Zohar, in, uh, I think it's in book two or book three. It's book three of the Zohar, page 101. It's in the Vayikra and the Zohar. It says something unbelievable. The Zohar t- talks about the idea of Yom Kippur being on the 10th day of the month of Tishrei. And right after that, just like losing the track or going off track, the Zohar goes into the 10 types of song used to writing the book of Psalms. That, like we said many times already, the Gemara says, and the Zohar says here, that the book of Tehillim was used was was written using ten types of song, and the 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 Zohar the commentaries want to make a connection that it started about, about Yom Kippur on the tenth day, and it's a day of repentance, and it's connected to the ten types of song, which also activates repentance, and all of a sudden from that, the Zohar goes to explain this verse for no reason. <laughs> you, you begin to wonder, what's the pattern here? Yom Kippur, 10th day of Tishrei, 10 types of song, and then Tnan, it starts ex- ex- expounding on one of the 10 types of song, which is this one here. Le David Maskil, we said, if you remember, Maskil is one of the 10 types of song used for writing Tehillim. Here we have Le David Maskil in chapter 32. In chapter 42 we have Lamnatseach Maskil Livnei Korach, to the sons of Korach, also, they used the, the type of song called Maskil. Okay, here the Zohar decides to open up one of the ten types of song, and that's it. After this, it goes to talk about something totally new, as if to say, this verse and this type of song is very fundamental. Okay, so what does the Zohar say? The Zohar says something unbelievable. It asks asks a question on this verse. Look carefully in the verse. It says, Le David Maskil, to David, an intellectual song, fortunate Nesui Pesha is someone whose iniquity is lifted up. And then, like we said, the verse ends, Kesui Chata'a, whose unintentional sin is covered up. The Zohar asks, if you look at the grammar of the end of the verse, it doesn't make sense. Kesui is in plural format. Kesui is more than one, covering up several items. Chata'a, a sin offering, a sin, is singular. So it says two things which don't fit in. It says kesui, which is in plural. It could have said, for example, kesa'a or kase, which also in singular term means to cover up. Kase chata'a, cover up the sin. It says kesui, plural. Why plural? The Zohar asks. So the Zohar says something unbelievable. It says, you have certain wicked people who are so wicked, completely wicked, that when they come up to the heavenly court, the heavenly court decides this person is totally naked, nothing to protect him. He has to be doomed to what's called Kaf HaKela. Kaf HaKela translates in English as the hollow sl- sling. It's an eternal punishment, worse than hell, that there's no rest at all for this wicked person forever, for eternity. He has no rest. So the Zohar asks, wait a second, how could it be that he doesn't have any good deeds? You don't have a complete sinner who doesn't have at least a few good deeds. The problem with a complete sinner is his good deeds are so tiny that they're considered insignificant compared to his wickedness. His wickedness was so bad that the little bit of good is not strong enough to outweigh his bad deeds. So the Zohar asks, so what does the heavenly court do with his good deeds? You can't just take a wicked person with his goodness and punish him to the hollow sling like that, to Kafakela. What about his good deeds? So the Zohar says, his good deeds are given to tzaddikim who passed away early, who passed on before their time, and they did not yet get to finish their what they would have liked to finish in their lifetime. 
and they would have liked to have done more Torah, more mitzvot, more good deeds. So to such tzaddikim who left early, the good deeds of this wicked person, which seem are seemingly uns- insignificant, are given to this tzaddik who left early. It could be compared to that the tzaddik has a jacket, but he's missing a button. The button is from the rasha. The rasha, the wicked guy, his good deeds are like, they come up to, they culminate to a little button. And this tzaddik, he made with his Torah and good deeds in his lifetime, a jacket, but it's still missing the button because he left early. He passed away before his time. So we give like a button of good deeds from the wicked guy. And it's given to the tzaddik and he completes it. So the Zohar answers, that's why it says in plural, kisui. And the word kisui is like a garment. Kisui, going back to the verse, happy is he whose offense is forgiven and his unintentional sin is covered up. Covered up like a garment. The mitzvot, the Zohar says, are like garments. When, when When a soul leaves this world, there's no clothing, there's no food, everything's spiritual. So what's the spiritual garment of a soul? So it shouldn't be naked when it comes up to heaven. The Torah, the mitzvot, the good deeds are like the jacket, the clothing of a soul who leaves this world. Okay? So why plural? Because initially the button belonged to the rasha, the button garment, the small act of good deeds was by the wicked guy, but it doesn't help him. (laughs) He, He can't cover himself up behind the little button. So we give the button to the tzaddik, and then this wicked guy, seemingly, is doomed for kafakela, for this hollow sling. This is the Zohar, okay? Now watch. If you recall, if you remember, in Rabbi Nachman's Wisdom, the book, Sichot Haran, Rabbi Nachman's Wisdom, in the beginning, towards the beginning, Rabbi Nachman goes into this idea. Rabbi Nachman says there, there are certain souls that are totally naked. They come up to the heavenly court totally naked and they have no defense before the heavenly court. And the heavenly court has no choice but to, uh, what's it called, execute a judgment for the, these naked souls to go to the hollow sling, to go to Kafakela. If you remember this, comes along a tzaddik and he takes his garment and he covers over the naked soul. The heavenly court starts to argue with the tzaddik. What are you doing? This soul has no, no deeds of his own. Why are you cheating and giving your garment to this naked soul? So then Rabbi Nachman continues the analogy that the tzaddik, he tells the heavenly court uh, an, 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 uh, an analogy. He says, you, sh- you know surely that there are times when a very important governor, a sar, like a very important governor, <coughs> sorry, an aristocrat, he has to pick up something from another governor, another aristocrat. So he sends his messenger with the wagon and the horses, the carriage, to do the message, to be the messenger, to pick up the package from the second aristocrat. And he tells the messenger, go fast, I need this item ASAP. He comes back an hour later, he sees that the messenger hasn't even left yet. He said, I told you to leave immediately. Why are you still here? He said, I don't have any proper garments. Everything's dirty, everything's upside down. I have no clean clothing right now to to go to present myself to the other governor. So the, the first governor says, I don't have time for this. Take one of my garments and go already. I need you to go. So too, the tzaddik, he tells the heavenly court, I need this wicked guy, this naked soul. I need him to do something for me. And he has to be presentable. If he's doing it for me, he's representing me. So I have to give him one of my garments. And Rabbi Nachman concludes there, and this is how the tzaddik is able to save even the naked souls from the worst punishment of Kafakela. This fits in amazingly with the Zohar, especially regarding Rabbi Nachman, who left the world early, 
he left the world at age 38. Rav Nosson writes clearly a few places that Rabbi Nachman was taken from us before his time. He could have lived longer. If we davened enough, if we were worthy enough, he could have still been around. Rav Nosson saying that, expressing that statement, shows that you can say Rabbi Nachman left at the time. That was his time. You can say that the Arizal left at his time also, age 38. The Orachayim left at his time, age 48. All these tzaddikim, they passed on early. You can say that. But he points out Rav Nosim that the tzaddikim, if they had the opportunity and the option, they would have wished to stay more because the gain of doing more Torah and mitzvot in this world is unimaginable. You don't have that. You don't have that opportunity in the next world. The Torah and mitzvah you can do in this world, you can't have that opportunity again in the world to come. It's whatever you do. Whoever works on Friday has what to eat on Shabbat. Shabbat is the world to come. Friday is this world. If you you invest properly in this world, you have what to eat in Shabbat. So the tzaddikim know that. They do their best to maximize, to maximize, to maximize, and it's still not enough because every second is another gain that will never be existing again. So the tzaddik, and he said, Rabbi Nosson refers to Rabbi Nachman as a tzaddik like that, and now it fits in amazingly. How could a tzaddik take a naked soul, like the, like the, like the heavenly court says, this naked soul is totally naked, what are you doing? Because the tzaddik's garment like the Zohar says, is completed by the wicked people. These wicked people who are deemed for destruction, for, for anarchy, whatever, for the, for the end, and their good deeds are given to the tzaddikim. So the tzaddikim have what's called the hakaratatov. They have some, you know, they have some recognition towards these wicked people. Because it's thanks to them that I have a button now to close my jacket. The spiritual jacket of the tzaddikim, right? It's completed now because of these wicked people. Unbelievable. So the tzaddik, just for that, he can already save such a soul. He's not according to the law. Forget it. It's over. You're naked. You have nothing. Comes the tzaddik. He puts his garment on the naked soul because it was thanks to the, the wicked people that the tzaddik is able to have a button a zipper, it's now a complete garment, thanks to the wicked people here. Okay? So now, Rabbi Nachman brings, uh, the, the Zohar brings all this on this verse. And Rabbi Nachman's insight is that, you see, Ledavid Maskil. We went into this last week. If you look in the book of Psalms, sometimes you have it inverted. You have sometimes Maskil Ledavid. Or we have it like here, Le David Maskil, where it means that King David is the one who initiated this song called Maskil, as opposed to when it's written in the reverse, Maskil Le David, it's where King David is receiving an arousal from above of divine inspiration coming to him. Here, when it says of David, from David, Le David, Le to, from, in other words, to David. It's in his starting up that the maskil, the song called maskil, is activated. Here, Rabbi Nachman calls Ledavid maskil the entire book of Tehillim. Because he points out that this type of song is what the tzaddik can use to save a person. The maskil, we said, is an admixture of good and evil. We went into this a lot, if you remember, on Lesson 19 in Likud Imran, how maskil can be maskil or can be meshakel, which means bereaved, death of children. In other words, it's or maskil, which is an uplifting, uh, an, an, an enthusiastic, positive song, or it can be meshakel, which means shikulbanim, destroying and leaving bereaved. So, so that type of song, which is an admixture of good and evil, is the key for tzaddikim of the caliber of King David, to lift up a person's iniquities, even the worst ones, Ashrei Nesui Pesha, immorality, blemish of the covenant, which is, in Torah standards, considered the worst thing a Jew can do between himself and God. The Brit, the covenant, is a covenant. We call it a covenant. What does it mean covenant? This is the bridge, the key, to connect me to God, 
more than anything else. We start a Jewish child with Brit Milah, Brit Milah circumcision on the reproductive organ to show that this is the key between Jewish mankind and God. It's our Brit. That's what connects us. If this is blemished, if this is defamed, the person loses his connection. So according to Torah law, the worst thing a a Jew can do, God forbid, to separate himself from Hashem is to murder his own seed, to kill his own children, to have wasted seed or immorality, like here, Ashrei Nesui Pesha Na'af, and yet this can be rectified and fixed by LeDavid Maskil. So in a sense, Rabbi Nachman is revealing that Tehillim, the power of Tehillim, is the greatest garment a person can use to cover himself up. If I recall properly, at the end of this conversation in Rabbi Nachman's wisdom, we just brought now, about the tzaddik covering up with his garment, he said in context, if I, I hope I remember this right, he says, fortunate the person who, uh, who can cover himself up with Tehillim and, and eat and drink chapters of Mishnah. So I, I hope I remember correctly. If I'm wrong, then it doesn't work out. But if, if it works out nice, what he said, that to cover himself up with Psalms, Tehillim, because the garment is activated by even the worst person in the world. If he says Tehillim, especially the ten types of Psalms, which, if, you, if you've noticed, the Zohar that we brought down, when it went into introducing the ten types of song, it went right into this verse, as if to say, this verse is the key to the whole book of Psalms, because like we said last week, chapter 32, 32 by the way means what? Lev, heart, it's the heart. Lamed Bet is the heart. Chapter 32 is the heart of the book of Tehillim. This is the first chapter that deals with tshuva. It's, if, you, if you look from the beginning of Tehillim until chapter 32, doesn't speak anywhere about repentance. The first spot that repentance is really mentioned is in this verse. 32 is the key, ver- the key chapter for repentance. It's why Rabbi Nachman, it seems, put it in the Tikkun HaKlali, because of its key of being repentance. And the goal of a Jew is to get to repentance, God willing. <coughs> so this is an insight on the importance of this verse and its representation of the whole purpose of Tehillim to do tshuva. Rabbi Nachman says elsewhere that Tehillim is the key to doing repentance and he's saying it clearly in this one verse and that the, the Zohar brings this verse only and talks about it. It shows the power of what's mentioned in this verse that there's hope for a Jew even doing the worst things to turn it into unintentional in order to clean him totally, to clean him up God willing. So we have a gift, it's called Tehillim. We have a more refined gift taken from the book of Tehillim, which is Rabbi Nachman's 10 Psalms that he picked out. When it's said in that specific order, it cleanses a person to the highest degree. So with that said, let's continue. I guess we have some time. Let's continue out to the next paragraph. Let's see how much we can go into this. If you see the next paragraph, 3, Gimel, in this lesson 205. So he says like this, Afterwards, after Rabbi Nachman mentioned all these items that we've said until now in Lesson 205, afterwards means approximately five years later. Rabbi Nachman revealed this lesson, 205, in the year 1805. Only five years later, 1810, did Rabbi Nachman reveal, did Rabbi Nachman a blessed memory reveal, Ha'asara Kapitel Tehilim Bifratiyut. Did Rabbi Nachman reveal, reveal which specific ten chapters that a person should say specifically? Shitzarich leomram beoto hayom sheikre lo chasve shalom mikre bilti tahor. That a person should say them on the same day that he has, God forbid, a nocturnal emission. And we, like we said last week and previous classes, that they're so powerful, they can even help for not the same day, and even for intentional, that's what we said, Nesui Pesha, Pesha is like intentional wasting of seed, masturbation, what they call, that Tehillim can even fix that, obviously with regret, person has to have regret, and to really want to do tshuva, but he's saying, the best scenario 
is on the same day before damage is done to say the tikkun akali. Okay, that a person should say them on the same day. God forbid that he has an admission. God forbid. Ve'eluhen, and these are the ten specific chapters. So Binachman goes to enumerate them, right? Michtam the David chapter. 16, chapter 32, 41, 42, 59, 77, 90, 105, 137, 150. If you look carefully, Rabbi Nachman has put in here like a type of a code. There's a code in the specific order and the specific Psalms that he picked. And this is without going into the Kabbalah and the secrets, because <laughs> we have no capacity for the secrets behind these ten specific psalms. But on a simple level, there's an unbelievable code hidden on the organized structure of the of the actual ten psalms and the order that he put them, and in their representation. To explain, the commentaries on the Book of Talim, they normally explain. What's the overall theme of each chapter? If you look at, for example, in the Art Scroll translation of Tehillim, so before each chapter, there's like an overall summary of the theme behind each chapter. So 150 chapters of Tehillim, each chapter has an overall theme that the commentators on the Tehillim, they bring forth that this chapter, King David wrote because of so and so and such and such and this and this. So if you use that, you can see an amazing, amazing pattern in the ten types of song. So let's start. Let's see how far we can get. Michtam le David, chapter 16. The commentators explain that the overall theme of this psalm, Michtam le David, is humility. The opening verse, Michtam le David, which translates as <coughs> a precious psalm, but also means like a crown. The word ketem can mean a crown. So it's like a crown of David. What does it mean a crown of David? The, ne- the next words. Shamreni kel, please God, protect me because I rely on you alone. So the commentaries explain this is the greatest humility of King David. He's a king. He's the king of the Jewish people. What's the king saying? A crown for King David. What's he saying? Oh, Hashem, save me. That's humility. You're a king. You have power. You have authority. What's he saying, King David? Oh, the king, the crowning verses representing David. What are they? Oh, Hashem, save me. But you're a king. What are you crying over you save me? That's humility. The humility of King David, that even though he was a king, he didn't get haughty. Other kings, like Nebuchadnezzar, Achashverosh, the wicked kings, when they become a king, they get haughty. But here, King David shows his humility even more when he became a king. It says in the, in the Midrash that King David, when he became a king, he never lifted his eyes up in public. He was always looking down. He never looked at people even eye to eye. He looked downwards because he received such humility. So the first psalm here is the Psalm of Humility. It represents humility. That's the first chapter of Tehillim. Okay? Number two, Le David Maskil, this chapter that we just spoke about now, chapter 32, right? This, this chapter is the key to tshuva, repentance. That tshuva can clean a person's sins totally. That's what it says, Ashrei Nesri Pesha, Le David Maskil for David, to David, a maskil, Right? <coughs> Fortunate is the person whose iniquities are cleaned and his are covered up to be like a chata'ah, like an unintentional sin. That's repentance here. That's so. The, so this should have been the opening verse of the ten psalms, because that's the goal. The goal is tshuva, repentance. But no, preceding chapter thirty-two is placed chapter sixteen, because always. Always, always, the prerequisite to tshuva is humility. You can't talk to people about doing tshuva unless they're humbled. Only once somebody's humbled will they listen to you. You have the guy, he has all these stores, he has real estate, and he's a big shot. 
He won't listen to you to come back to Hashem. He won't. You talk to him to keep Shabbat, talk to him about this, this. He doesn't talk to him. Once he gets subdued, submitted in life, and he has a recognition of humility that it's not me. Like the verse says in chapter 16, he says already in the second, third verse, L'kdoshim asher King David says, I rely on the holy ones who are buried in the earth. My, my hope is in the merit of the tzaddikim who passed on, who are in the earth already. King David is saying that in the opening verse. He's saying, I don't rely on myself. That's humility. That as big as a person is, he recognizes his place. He doesn't lose sight of the reality that compared to Hashem, we're still nothing. I may have money, I may have wealth, I may have power, I may be a righteous man, I may be a person getting up every night at midnight for 70 years, I may be a person who's a warrior, never missed a morning of davening on time, davening shacharit at nets. I could be a great person, and if I'm able still to maintain humility, which means I recognize that I have still nothing, you know, it's like when Rav Nossin came to Rabbi Nachman, they, they give the analogy. You know, he was a, such an accomplished Torah scholar before he came to Rabbi Nachman. He was a big person, Rav Nossin. He was an accomplished Torah scholar. He was fluent in what's called the seven wisdoms. There's what's called seven wisdoms, geometry, mathematics, rhetoric, he was fluent in the seven wisdoms, Rav Nosin, before he came to Rabbi Nachman already. He was a big guy, Rav Nosin, and yet he made his cup empty. His cup could have been full, but because he made his cup much more bigger, the what was inside is now considered almost insignificant compared to how much more can be filled in. That's humility when a person doesn't feel filled. Again, there's one thing to be happy that Hashem gives you the merit to be a Jew, the merit to put on tefillin, the merit to, to, to do mitzvot, uh, you know, to be happy about the good points that Hashem has given you, that's one thing. But then another thing, to feel full to the maximum capacity with your good deeds or with your accomplishments, not allowing more to come in. <laughs> that's, another, that's a problem now. A person now, because of his wealth, physical or spiritual strength, physical or spiritual, right? Everything he has, physically or spiritually, if it fills him up to capacity that you can't put any more in, that's, that's not proper. Humility is, where as much as I have in, I can put in more. There's much more. In fact, I feel like when it comes to what's more out there, I feel I haven't even started yet. As opposed to being happy with the good points. Ah, Thank you, Hashem, you let me put on film today. I can't believe I finished the entire Talmud. I can't believe I'm this and that. I have such nachas for my family. I have children, married kids, whatever. Okay? This is, this is finding the good points. But it doesn't go against humility. And here, Rabbi Nachman teaches, the key to tshuva always is humility. A person will never travel to a tzaddik for help if he doesn't have humility. If he says, why do I have to travel to this tzaddik? I'm better than him. I can manage on my own. I can do things better. You know, <laughs> there's no humility here. You can only talk to a person who has the prerequisite of submission. He has humility and he's willing to bend, to listen to you, to receive and to accept more. That's such a person who can do tehillim. So again, ideally... The Tikkun Aklali should have begun with chapter 32, which is the key, the Tshuva. Because the goal of the Tikkun Aklali is to do Tshuva. The Zohar indicates by this verse that Tshuva is the key for the Tikkun Aklali. Yet, the prerequisite is chapter 16, which is the chapter of humility, because that's the key for Tshuva. With that, you can start the Tshuva process. Okay? We'll continue a little. Let's see. The third chapter, 41, Ashrei Maskil Eldal, happy is he who's wise enough to help the poor. The commentaries explain that this is King David expressing being saved from sickness. The poorness mentioned in the verse is someone whose body becomes dull. When a person is sick, he loses weight. The word for being skinny is also dull. 
there's lack of flesh on his body, so he's called poor. He's poor meaning dal. Dal, like in Hebrew, you know how they translate low calorie? When you eat low, cal- low calorie yogurt. So it's called dal kaloriot. Dal in the Hebrew means low fat, low, small. So poor is not necessarily dal. It's one translation. But dal, the, the commentaries mean that King David was praising Hashem for being, from being rescued from being sick. King David was sick, was deathly sick, and he came out of that. So Ashrei Maskil El Dal, chapter 41, is the, the theme is giving thanks from being saved from, from dying from the sickness. He was sick. If you look in chapter 41, through the verses, King David is expressing the pain from being sick. I mean, we can go into all the details if you want, but if you go through chapter 41, the main theme, he's mentioned I was sick here, pain, suffering, and I got out of it. What's the order here? So again, chapter 1 is humility. Chapter 32 starts the tshuva process. Rabbi Nachman teaches, you know already, that when a person wants to start the tshuva process, he gets hit. He gets hit in the boxing match. You think, okay, I'm doing tshuva now. The doors will be open. The gates will be open. Rabbi Nachman teaches what normally happens. It's when you start the tshuva process. Ah, you're starting now? Okay, box number one. You get punched in the face. Box number one. Normally, a person gets afflicted, physical sickness, physical ailments. Oh, but there's so much to do. I want to do tshuva now. Now that Hashem has opened the doors for tshuva for me, chapter 32, let me start. No, chapter 41. Chapter 41, what? You get sick. Sick meaning you're bedridden. When you're in bed, you can't daven, you can't learn, you can't even think. You're in such pain by, by, by being sick. And this is like the stage, first stage of the tshuva process is having obstacles, miniot, but physical on the body <clears throat> that don't let you become rich with the Torah. So it's called Ashrei Maskil El Dal. Fortunate is the one who can enlighten the person who's poor, who's sick, and because of being sick, he's poor of Torah. He can't learn Torah. He's poor of davening. He can't daven. He's poor of doing mitzvah because he's in bed all day, in pain, crying, right? So he's saying, fortune is the person who gets out of this. As if this is the initial stage after the tshuva of Psalm 32. After that, chapter 42. Chapter 42. Lam natseach maskil livne korach ke'ayal ta'arog Chapter 42, the commentaries explain the overall theme of this chapter is yearning. Yearning and desire to come back to Hashem. This, as you know, is fundamental in the tshuva process. After being hit in bed, a person was in bed, chapter 41, he was so detained, so refrained from doing good, okay? So after that removal... What happens to a person when, it, when he begins to get better? Oh, I haven't davened in days. I'm so far from learning Torah. Look what Corona did. What did Corona do? Corona made you have yearning. Oh, I miss davening in the shul. I miss going to a mikveh. Now that you can breathe, you know. Oh, where was I? I lost out on so much. The yearning is built due to the obstacles of refrainment. Chapter 41, where a person is sick, he can't move around. Right? Corona's out there, you can't move, you're stuck, you'll get sick. So there's a fear of getting sick. So you, because of that, you're dull. There's no davening, no shul, no minyan, no learning. Normally I have to learn of Zoom now. I have to, I have to now reacquaint myself, learning of a computer. I need a Beit Midrash with all the books that I can go to, a Torah study hall that I can learn of all the books, etc. What are you guys doing to me? So the yearning after this prevention is 42. That's the next stage. Now the yearning comes out. The verse, you see, Ke'ayal Ta'aro, King David says, sorry, the sons of Korach, they say, like a hind, a hind, a female deer, Ta'arog, who cries longingly, right? Like a, a hind who cries longingly, that's yearning, alafike ma'im, on the water sources, so too, King the, 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 the sons of Korach are saying, ken nafshi ta'arog so too does my soul pine and hunger and yearn for you, my God. 
that's yearning. Okay, so that's the stage number four. All this is like the tshuva process. Rabbi Nachman is, is setting out the tshuva process normally, and it's hinted to, this is like the hidden code in the, in the Tikkun Akali, in the, the Ten Psalms. Number five, Lamatzeach al Tashchet. Okay, for the conductor, a plea not to be destroyed. That King David is asking to be saved from death. Because as you get closer, you see more life miracles you see that you're really under attack. When a person now starts, he's past these levels. He's now started the tshuva, humility, tshuva. I got sick, I got out of it. I have yearning, I want to come back now. Then a person sees he's under attack from the evil side or physically, that he's mamash, he's in situations where just narrowly he escaped death or spiritual situations where you feel you have enemies. Why did this happen? You, this happened, all of a sudden crazy things are happening around you. And it's like telling you, you got to watch it. You are under, what's it called, under surveillance. And they're watching you and they're following you. And you're really, really in danger. You feel it. You feel the danger from the evil forces by what's happening. This all of a sudden didn't work, didn't work out. The car broke down. You know, I just lost tons of money. <clears throat> This happened. Oh, I have to take my kid to the hospital. Something got hurt here. I feel that I'm under attack. You begin to wonder, Hashem, I'm under so much attack. says, yes, you're under attack now. You have to be saved from murder. This chapter, chapter 59, King David composed when he was saved from death. He went home that night. He was at the time married to Michal. Michal was the daughter of King Shaul. King Shaul wanted to kill King David. King David that day was playing music before King Shaul. King Shaul fell into a depression and he asked that someone should be brought forth to play music before him to uplift his spirits. So King David was playing music in such a beautiful way that it made King Shaul not only feel better, but King Shaul began to feel jealous of King David because the way he was playing the music was that of monarchy. The way, the presentation of the music, King Shaul picked up that this man is going to be a king. I can sense it in the music. So King David, as King Shaul, got so upset, so jealous of King David, he took a spear and he threw it at King David's head and it just missed him. He was, it was, it was under attack. King David was under attack. <coughs> By who? By tzaddikim. Another tzaddik. King Shaul was a tzaddik. He never lost the term of being a tzaddik. Another tzaddik was pursuing King David. How do you think he felt? If it was a wicked guy pursuing him, that's one thing. But when a person sees that the tzaddikim themselves are giving a person a problem, you begin to become frustrated. That was King David's frustration. But he held strong. He went home. And he locked the door. King Shaul sent soldiers... To, to surround the house and <clears throat> not to let King David escape and in the morning to go in to kill him and to bring his body dead to King Shaul uh, King David's wife Michal what she did she was okay she saved him she took a rope out of the window and let him secretly escape while the guards were guarding the hole around the house because there was no way to jump out of the window so she made a rope and he escaped and that's how he got out so he was saved from death. And in this, Rabbi Nachman is showing us, Al-Tashchet, a person reaches the next level, where he's literally in danger. And the danger can even come from tzaddikim. This Rabbi Nachman talks about, for example, lesson number five, <clears throat> where a person sees strife between tzaddikim. Or lesson 30, where he says a person receives insults from tzaddikim. And you feel like your whole world, your whole life is destroyed. If now the tzaddikim themselves are testing me by showing that they want to kill me, when I'm in danger, how am I going to stand up? This also applies when a Jew wants to come closer and he begins to feel opposition from other religious Jews. Who do you think you are now? You're wearing a black hat now. You're davening properly. You're davening better. You're trying to become more religious. You're not going to make it. You know, who do you think you are? Look where you came from. 
So a person feels like they're spilling his blood. Rabbi Nachman calls in, in insults and embarrassment like Shvichudamim. Lesson 6. This is the idea of spilling of blood. So here, this psalm is dedicated to be saved from actually murder, being murdered, being killed, having your uh, embarrassment make you feel like your blood is being spilt and that it shouldn't bring you to, God forbid, a dead end. This is the next stage in the tshuva process, that a person has to stand up and he gets embarrassed. If you do this, I won't talk to you anymore. person has to go to all types of bizyonot. Bizyonot means insults, embarrassments, which is akin to murder. You're suffering it. This person's against you. Ah, you're going pale now. You think you're so religious. You know, I, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm not going to be your friend anymore. You're doing stages to become more religious. And you feel like they're killing you. They're spilling your blood with the insults. That's the stage number five. That's Psalm number five, 59. And then, 77. This is a psalm, okay? For the conductor to Yedutun. Yedutun was one of the ten tzaddikim who composed the book of Tehillim, Psalms. He wrote this chapter, the main theme of 77 is exile. If you look at the, the verses in chapter 77, he's expressing, you know, I'm in exile so long. Has Hashem forgotten about us? Are we ever going to be redeemed? How long is this galut and everything? It's where a Jew feels exiled. Okay? As if it wasn't enough, 59... Where now I'm being pursued? Now I'm meant to feel even exile. How am I supposed to stand up to this? Okay? Watch. There's three verse, three, three chapters, one after the next, which are difficulties. Chapter 59, which is like being murdered, being spilled my blood, embarrassment in trying to come close to Hashem, embarrassment from the side of holiness even. Chapter 77, as I feel I'm in exile, I'm not getting anywhere in my life. Where am I getting? It's not enough, I'm going through embarrassment, but I'm still in exile. I'm nowhere, Hashem. I'm stuck in exile, and it seems like you're not listening. It seems like you don't care. Help me, redeem me from my exile. Chapter 90 is the hardest one. Chapter 90, Tfilah le Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu here is praying to give hope to a person, because the person begins to see his life accomplishments are nothing. The verse reads there in chapter 90, our, our life can be 80 years, sorry, 70 years, and if we're lucky, 80 years. <laughs> and Robam, the majority of my life, is filled with iniquities and difficulties. So he's expressing, you know, failure. 59 was murder, 77, exile, 90 is futility, God forbid three chapters, one after the next, with major difficulties that the majority of people in the world break from after having these three. It wasn't enough, the embarrassment I went through to come close to Hashem, and then I have the exile that I'm still in, I'm not nowhere, I feel like I'm out of the picture, and on top of that, number 90, chapter 90, I am, I am futile, I, I got nowhere in life, and a person is really, really in danger after that, comes chapter 105. 105 is uplift, uplifting beat, uh, up, an uplifting, uh, upbeat theme of joy, and that King David is in inaugurating, bringing the ark into the holy temple. The theme is the, the joy of bringing the Aaron, the holy ark, which contained the Torah, back home. That a person now, after passing these three stages of life, chapter 59, 77, 90, uh, death, near death, exile, futility. I'm coming back home. I'm coming back to mama. I'm coming back home. Chapter 105 is I'm back home now. Bringing the ark back to the temple. There's hope. Psh, Hashem loves me. King David, it says there in the illustration, if you remember, he was dancing and clapping his hands with a special, beautiful, white... Um, uh, not What's the word? Linen, linen garment... And he was happy and rejoicing in front of the Holy Ark, dancing like Simchata Hachnasat Sefer Torah. We're bringing in the Sefer Torah. That's the biggest joy that Hashem is showing me that there's hope. We're coming back, building the Holy Temple, in the Holy Temple, the Holy Ark. What more could you have for that, okay? But then, this chapter 137, 
137 is what? Al Narod Bavel, the theme of chapter 137, by the rivers of Babylon, that the Jews in exile in Babylonia, in Bavel, were crying over the destruction of the first and second temple. Okay, the Beit HaMidash, that was also taken away. That's, the, that's now the worst now. We were in. I got, I passed chapter 59. I passed death. I passed 77. I passed exile. I passed futility. I came in. And now all that is taken away. Destruction of the temple. So you can imagine the Yehush, the feeling of despair a person has after chapter 137. What comes after that? 150. Chapter 150. The main theme of Hallelujah, Hallelujah El Bikocho, Hallelujah right? <coughs> There's 13 times Hallelujah, praise Hashem, are mentioned. In that, after everything a person has gone through, he can still thank Hashem for everything good that he had in his life that's built him up until now. Things were taken away. There were tri- a lot of trials and tribulations, but it says, Kol HaNeshama Ta'alilka, that I can, on- every soul in the end, the goal is to start praising Hashem. After all the ups and downs that you went through in the Tshuva process, what are you left with? Giving thanks to Hashem. That's the chapter 150, is giving thanks by Halel. Halel is praising Hashem because of all the amazing things that I went through in my life. You know, a Jew goes through so much in life, and he's still a Jew by the ripe age of 70, 80, 90, he's still holding on. Such a person is filled more than anybody else in the world with feelings of joy and thanks because he made it so far. <coughs> he went through so much, but there was so much good, right? You have Holocaust survivors. There was one guy from Argentina, his name, a Breslover, his name was Rav Meyernik. He, by miracle, was saved. He was living in Poland, and he want, he knew what was happening was coming, so he wanted to leave SAP. The only place he can get a visa to was to Argentina, <coughs> in South America, because his sister lived there. And according to law, Argentinian law, a, a, a first-level relative is allowed to get a visa. So that means this man, he was the brother of his sister, only he was entitled to a visa, not his wife, not his kids, because he's first stage relative. He's a direct brother of a woman living in Argentina, only he's entitled to the visa. So his idea was, okay, he'll go first, and then he'll work to bring his family. <coughs> he got to Argentina, right after he got there, World War II started, Hitler closed the borders, conquered Poland, his wife was killed, his children were killed, everything was destroyed, and he was saved. Okay? As you can imagine, the trauma and the shock of that happening to him. Okay? But the man didn't give up. He started again, and he had a second marriage. We had only one son. And this one son eventually became a big Rosh Hashiva, I think in Argentina or here. He lives, he lives in Yerushalayim. And this, this, rab, this rabbi had kids, four kids of several kids, to compensate for what he lost. So he said, I lost my four kids, but I have now grandchildren, you know, numbering the the amount of kids that I lost in the Holocaust. What's the point? Is that people who go through so much in life, they see the pain, the exile, the near-death experience, the embarrassment, the, the futility, but at the same time, they see the endless miracles that Hashem has done. When you see life, you can or see the negative side of it, and if you're doing that, you're fooling yourself, because it's also the positive side of life. Hashem is not just sending you negative, 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 there's also the positive. Who sees that? The people who've gone through life, and they're still holding on, they see the miracles of Hashem much more than the average person. They see the amazing kindnesses, the miracles. So we finish, even though there's destruction of the temple, Kufla Zayin, on the rivers of Babylon, there I cried over, right? And it talks about the destruction caused by the Nebuchadnezzar, which is from Babel, and also mentions Edom. Edom is Rome, 
which is the destruction of the second temple. Okay, but after that, King David is able to activate thanking Hashem. And they say that you have in total there 13 times Hallel. The 13 times of Hallel correspond to the commentary say one of the things it corresponds to is the 13 attributes of mercy the 13 le- uh, levels used for de- deciphering the Torah and also they say the 13 months the 13 days of Rosh Chodesh we have 12 months 12 days of Rosh Chodesh and in a leap year you have an extra month it was 13 you have 13 months uh, 13 times Hallel so from there they learn that we say we're on Rosh Chodesh which is the day of forgiveness of atonement the day of atonement is Rosh Chodesh it's the day Rabbi Nachman calls Rosh Chodesh the day of Tshuva that Hashem in a sense does Tshuva so the idea is that in chapter 150 through the 13 attributes of mercy after all this Tshuva process I'm still on my feet and I'm able to have hope and to be able to stand up and thank Hashem and praise Hashem, and I'm still there. After losing the temple, chapter 137, after futility, chapter 90, after near death, uh, sorry, after exile, 77, after death, almost, 59, after being sick, chapter 32, so there's five chapters of suffering, of, of representation of, sorry, uh, not 32, chapter 41, you have chapter 41, which represents sickness, that's number one, 59, which is death, 77, number 3, is, is exile. 90, that's the fourth one, that's on futility. And chapter 137 <coughs> is on the destruction of the temple. Those are five of difficulty. And to combat them, you have the other five of good. Chapter 16, humility. Chapter 32, repentance. Chapter 42, yearning and longing desire. Chapter 105, bringing in the Torah to your house, to the temple. And then finally, chapter 150. These, if you remember, we spoke about it, I think, two weeks ago. How, why he said you have to say 10 chapters. Why 10 chapters of the Tikkun Klali? Because the Da'at, we said, the Da'at and the drop of seed is made up of what's called in the Kabbalah five chasadim, five gvurah. There's five kindnesses and there's loving kindnesses and there's five judgments, dinim so the drop is made up of that because it comes from the dad, the dad has that, that's the Kabbalah so you have to say to correspond the five and five you have to say ten chapters here, we just did the breakdown you have five positive chapters, which are uplifting and five chapters expressing the pain of that specific difficulty, so you have five and five, by saying all ten chapters you're able to activate the five kindnesses and the five judgments which make up the drop and in that to rectify the damage. We'll continue this, God willing, next week, but this is just an amazing, like a code that Rabbi Nachman has put hidden in the Tikkun Aklali to show you the power of what's in these ten specific chapters. Again, there's many chapters and they all have themes, but that he specifically organized them in this format and he specifically picked these themes in this specific order is like a code to life, God willing, Bezat Hashem. Alright, we spoke about a lot of things. Um, if you want to reach out, you can contact me by WhatsApp. You have my number, 1732-800-1863 or by email, therapy at gmail.com Thank you for joining the class. I hope you liked it. And Bezat Hashem. Okay. Thank you also. It was great. Yeah, unbelievable. To be continued. Kol Tuv Rav Shamash. Kol Tuv Beryl. Kol Tuv Gushkujasht. Kol Tuv Dan. All the best. All the best, everybody.